Gracious Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Um, Romans chapter 12, let love be genuine. In verse 9, we turn a corner, but first a reminder of where we've been. The Apostle Paul has been asking us to come together, despite our differences, to offer God the sacrifice He loves, which is reconciled lives joined together in praise. And he's been focusing on the humility that that will require of us. He's been asking for us to partner uh, with Him and to partner with the Spirit to create Jesus's body on earth with our love. And he's just got done stressing that to do that, we need to use all of our various and different gifts to contribute to the beauty of that. And here in verse 9, Paul moves from the ways that we're different the different gifts that we're called and we have and we're called to minister to one another to the virtues and practices that are supposed to characterize all of us. When it comes to things like love is genuine, none of us are off the hook. And what follows are 25 or so of these virtues and commands that are supposed to characterize our community, and we're just going to go through slowly looking at each one, one by one. And at the top of the list is love. Let love be genuine. And maybe that shouldn't surprise us that we're talking about love in church. Maybe that does surprise some of you that we're talking about love in church. Uh, But love is a big deal to Jesus. And let's reflect on a moment uh, 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 on just how big of a deal love is to us. Um, in 1 John, it says that God himself is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in them. God is love. Jesus made absolutely clear that the greatest commandments that are there in both the Old and the New Testament are you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. Love, he goes on to say that those two commandments, on them depend the whole law and the prophets. Before his death on the cross, he said, you need to love one another as I have loved you. And echoing the the teaching of his rabbi Jesus, Paul taught the exact same thing. That That love summarizes everything that we're supposed to be about. And so just a few, cha- uh, few verses later in Romans, he says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor 
has fulfilled the law. Paul makes it clear on any number of occasions that love is more important to the Christian than any spiritual gift that they may have. He says things like, but now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. It's not surprising that the first fruit of the Spirit is love. Because it's by our loves that all men will know that we are Christ's disciples. That's how the world will know that we know Jesus. They will know it by our love. It's the thing that marks us out as Jesus' followers. It's the thing that makes everything else that we do meaningful. And so 1 Corinthians 13, remember that. It says, you can do all of these amazing things in my name, but if you don't have love, it amounts to what? Nothing. On the other hand, we can get a lot of things wrong, but if we get love right, we can be on the right track. Love matters. In fact, genuine love is so integral to supernatural living that John says in 1 John 3 verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers and sisters. Whoever does not love abides in death. In other words, a person who shows no evidence of this love in their life has no claim on Christ. They can't say they belong to Jesus. All that to say, when Paul says to these Christians in Rome, let love be genuine, he is saying something of supreme importance. There is nothing more worthy of our time than evaluating whether the love we have for one another is genuine or phony, real or counterfeit. And that's what he's saying. Let your love be genuine, real, sincere, the real deal. So how does one determine whether the thing they're looking at is real or counterfeit? And I guess it matters what you're looking at. But one try and true technique is to compare the object in question to the real deal. This happened recently with my son Abel and I in a set of Pokemon cards. We ordered off of eBay. We should have known that the deal was too good to be true. That number of VMAX cards for that price, there's no way. But we, we wanted it to be true, so we bought them. And here's the thing. We would have never known that they were fake until we put them side by side with the real deal. And after comparing them, We felt foolish 
But then we were better equipped to identify the counterfeits in the future. Sometimes the only way that you can tell whether something is real or counterfeit is to apply pressure. So in the case of a diamond, sometimes you can't tell with the naked eye. Sometimes the only time, the way you can figure out whether it's real or fake is to apply pressure or stress. People will actually take sandpaper and see if the diamond will scratch because the diamond is so hard that it won't be affected by sandpaper. However, some kind of fake diamond will buckle under pressure. The real thing won't. What about love? How do you tell whether love is genuine or fake? And I want to say that Paul would say that love is a lot like Pokemon cards and diamonds. You'll never hear that sentence again. On the one hand, you have to see it in light of the real thing. And on the other hand, you have to see how it stands up under pressure. And so let's see if we can follow his logic. Are you with me? Let's go. First, you have to compare it to the real thing. Um, We have to determine what kind of love we're talking about when Paul says, let love be genuine. And our English word for love is so unhelpful. It's just one of those fuzzy, unhelpful words in our language because it can mean so many different things. Because I can say, I love Yaya's pizza, which I do. And I can also use the same English word to describe my love for my wife or my God and my love for watching the Lord of the Rings extended editions. But if I mean by love the same thing in all of those scenarios, I have issues. Uh, One, I use love to describe what I prefer. I use love to describe the lifetime commitment I have to someone or something. And I use love to describe something that anchors me in nostalgia and good storytelling. Um... The Greeks had different words for love. Um, Storge, which is kind of instinctual love, the love of a parent for a child. They had philia, which is like brotherly or sisterly affection, chosen love. It's the love that I have for Star Wars. (laughs) And it's the love that I have for you. Eros, romantic love. But then there is agape, a word that Christians took from the Greeks but filled it up with new meaning because there wasn't a word to describe exactly what had happened to them in Jesus and what they were supposed to be in the world. And for Christians, this love, agape, transcended all the other. It was a love not known in human experience. It didn't have a human origin. It was a divine love that finds its way into the human heart through Jesus and the ministry of the Spirit. It is God's own love in us. And guess what word is used here? 
it's agape. Actually, it's the agape. Our four words in English translate three words in the Greek. In the Greek, it's just the, so the article the, agape, and the word genuine. The agape, genuine, exclamation point. That's, I put the exclamation point in there. The love that is supposed to be manifested in our midst is not some random love. It's the love. It's the agape. It's the real thing. Well, what is the agape like? And to answer that question would take much more than the rest of this sermon. There's so many ways we could answer that. We could look at every time the word agape is used in the New Testament. We could just look at the ministry of Jesus, or we could look at the letters of Paul. But what I want to do is just look at the ways that the word agape is used in the book of Romans. I didn't know if the Roman Christians had any of the Gospels or any other letters, but I know they had this letter from Paul. And he tells us what agape is like in this letter. Three times before the word is used in Romans 12, Paul uses the word agape. And in each case, God is the subject of the sentence. And we are the object. And in each of those three cases, we're told that God is demonstrating the genuineness of his love for us. And so I want to look at those three references to Agape, God's love for us, to give us some clue of what our love is supposed to be like for one another. We're going to learn genuine love by seeing how God has genuinely loved us. And the first two references to God's agape come from Romans chapter 5. And you can actually flip there. You're real close to it if you have your Bibles open there. Romans 5. This is a wonderful little text. And here Paul is trying to encourage a group of Christians to persevere in the midst of suffering. And anyone who, has truly, as anyone who truly suffered knows that's not an easy thing to do, to persevere in the midst of hardship. And Paul gives two reasons why someone should persevere in the midst of suffering. First, it's because of what suffering produces in our lives. Character, endurance, and hope. But secondly, it's because God loves us that we can persevere through suffering. That God has proven his love to us. And those things work together in the passage. Because God has proven that he loves us, we can be patient in the midst of suffering, knowing that it won't produce ultimately despair in our lives, but character, endurance, and hope. Let's just look at this together. I'm going to read it in context. Romans 5.5. And we're going to see the first proof of God's love here. He says, Um, Through him, we have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, 
knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, this is the important part, because God's agape has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that He's given to us. Why should we persevere in the midst of suffering? Because God loves us. How do we know God loves us? Because His agape has been poured into our hearts by His Spirit. Now what in the world does that mean? Well, it's talking about the mysterious and sometimes elusive work of the Spirit. That work of the Spirit that gives us a felt sense of God's love. An experience of God's love. The, the work of the Spirit that makes us deeply and refreshingly aware of God's love for us. The, the image here is, is our hearts as so many empty cups that God wants to up. And here's the thing about cups. They can be filled again and again and again. You can go to that sink and it's empty, and you fill it again and again and again and again with the infinite God who never runs out of his living water of love for our empty hearts. It's very similar to Paul's statement later in Romans that the Spirit himself testifies to our spirit that we are God's children. Now, that is, this isn't an everyday occurrence for us. Some of us struggle with this ministry of this, the Spirit. Mother Teresa and other saints and psalmists, and the psalmists, for goodness sake, uh, testify to long periods of dryness um, and darkness in the Christian life. Those seasons in our life where it seems like all we can do is hang on for mercy, and offer our empty cups to Jesus. Uh, and sometimes I want to say that we're called to walk through those dark places because much of the world isn't dark, is in darkness. And sometimes God's people have to share the darkness of the world in order to love the world aright. But there are moments in our lives where the clouds part for a moment and God makes his love known through a strong sense in our spirit. His spirit touching our spirit. And there is an intimate impartation of experiential love so that his love for us can be felt. Thomas Goodwin, the old Puritan, would always use the image of a parent and a child to illustrate this. He said, imagine a, a father standing next to a son and he tells the son, I love you. But then imagine him picking up the son and playing airplane with the son and then hugging the son and saying, I love you. Was the son more loved when he was on the ground than when he was in the father's arms? The answer is relationally no, but experientially yes. In the plane of airplane, 
He experienced his sonship. Well, God sometimes picks us up and plays airplane with us and fills our empty heart cups with love so that we experience what it's like to be a child of God. Genuine love does that. That's the point. If our love for one another is genuine, it will find ways to do similar things. It will find ways to be uniquely felt and experienced. We will find ways as a community to metaphorically pick one another up. It's the way that physical presence communicates something that our words can't. It's the, it's the way that appropriate touch, holding a person who's weeping, an arm around someone who's hurting, communicates genuine love so that our comfort can be felt and experienced by the beloved. Sometimes we do it with our words. I had a seminary professor who always said, you need to speak your love. If you appreciate someone and a thought comes in your heart, oh, I appreciate them. You need to tell them that thing. So, so many times we leave our love hidden in our hearts so that it can't be experienced. There's actually a proverb to this point. Proverb 27.5, better is open rebuke than hidden love. So it's better to express yourself angrily than to love someone and not say it. To have love for someone and not express it is like winking at a girl in the dark. (laughs) It doesn't do you any good. Communities thrive in a culture of mutual celebration where we are genuinely trying to find creative ways that we might experience agape. Genuine love finds unique ways to be felt and experienced. But Paul goes on in Romans to describe another way that God proves or demonstrates his love for us. It's not just through the giving of subjective experience, but through objective action and service. This is Romans 5.8. God shows his agape for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. A couple things about that wonderful verse. Here God isn't proving his love through subjective experience. How he, isn't, he doesn't care about how we feel. He cares about what we see. Something objective and concrete that has happened in history. In this case, the cross. He cares that his love is felt, but agape itself is not a feeling. Agape in the scriptures almost always refers to action or behavior. Something concrete and physical that we do to serve someone else. Agape is something that you do to people. Not first and foremost, something you feel. And that's important because our feelings for one another change and shift over time. Love is like the tide. It goes in and out. But agape is a settled purpose. 
to choose to act in a certain way, whether you feel it or you don't. In fact, the way that you know agape is genuine is that you do it when it costs you something. And in fact, the more it costs the giver, the more you know that that love is the real deal. In the same way, the less the person receiving the love deserves it, that also is a foolproof way to ensure that the love, agape, is real. And that's the logic of the passage, that the, the quality or genuineness of agape is, God's agape is measured by the costliness of his actions towards us, and partly by the, the, the unworthiness of our lives. And measured by these standards, God's love is absolutely unique. Let's look at it. Romans chapter 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his own agape for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Human beings can be very generous in giving to those who they consider worthy of affection and respect. And the uniqueness of God's love lies in three factors. One, he gave himself. Two, he gave himself at great cost. And three, he gave himself to his undeserving enemies. A couple things we learn from that. First is how could we ever doubt the love of God? Let's just sit in that for a while. Let's just simmer. Let's soak that's Paul's teaching about love's God, or the God's love within the context of suffering. And man, life can be so painful to be sure we're often perplexed by tragedies and calamities. But to remember that God has proved his love for us, both in the death of his son and his poured out love into our hearts. Objectively in history and subjectively in experience, God has given us good grounds for believing in his love. But God has also given us the criteria by which we, we critique the genuineness of our own love. Is it only in words? Or is it in concrete deeds? Are those deeds present when it's convenient or when it costs us something? Is it only to our friends that we're loving or is it to those who aren't like us? Jesus has a teaching about loving your enemies. He says everybody loves their mom. But love is tested when you have to love somebody you don't like. We prove our love as a community by continuing to love even when the feelings of love go out. Um, the last reference to love is in Romans chapter 8, where we're simply told that God's agape is never ending. Let me read it to you. It's beautiful. This is Romans 8, 
You can just flip one page probably in your Bible and get there. Romans 8, verses 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the agape of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the agape of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Genuine love never ends. It doesn't poop out. He lists all these things that threaten to that could threaten to separate us from God's love, the supernatural, the natural, our own sin, even death. Pretty formidable stuff. All the stuff that threatens love and God's agape, it withstands them all. And our agape is meant to be an imperfect but real mirror of that. Somehow committed sturdy, standing up through the storms and onslaughts and pressures of life and all the things that threaten it. Our love is supposed to be the same way. And so when Paul describes love in 1 Corinthians 13, he ends that magisterial passage by saying, agape bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, Agape never ends. And when Paul says all things there, he doesn't mean literally all things. You don't believe all things. You don't believe four plus four equals nine. That's not wise. That's wrong. But he's saying all things. He means in all circumstances or always. That love always bears up. It's supposed to be a stable support for the people around me, even in the midst of hard things. That that agape believes always, meaning we believe in one another. It's it's like uh, Luke at the end of Jedi, looking at his father and saying, I still believe there's some good in you. It's a community looking at one another and saying, I still believe there is some good in you. And so agape always hopes. It hopes for the best in the people around us, even when we're hurt. It doesn't mean we spend all our time with the people that hurt us, but it does mean that we reach a place where we say, that person who hurt us, I wonder what happened to them and all the stuff that they've experienced. Man, I hope that they catch a break. I hope that they find Jesus. I hope that God will use me in, that, in their journey to find a better way forward. And so love perseveres. To have someone else believe in you for a while admits the wreckage of all things. And Paul isn't an idealist. He's writing to a group of people that don't like each other and they've suffered a ton. And he's saying agape doesn't poop out. 
Our love poops out all the time. We don't stick around. Churches on average, a pastor stays two to four years. Congregants in a church, that's about the same statistic. We live in a culture where pastors and church congregations are constantly pooping out on one another. Sometimes it's for good reason, but sometimes it isn't. Sometimes it's because our love isn't genuine. Because it doesn't wait for the feelings of affection to roll back in. Because we don't have a category for re-falling in love with a church. That's been such a helpful category for Katie and I as we've stopped loving one another over the years and we felt the need to re-fall in love with one another over the years. And the only way you feel the gap between not loving one another and re-falling in love is through service and hope and prayer. Marriages need that hope and church communities need that hope. Agape never ends. And so here, dear ones, Paul is saying the pressure's on. We have an opportunity in this season to determine whether our love is genuine or phony. To see how it stands up to the pressures of life. This is our opportunity to test whether it's counterfeit or not. And as we test our love, we will inevitably fail. And when we do, it is not an opportunity for us to double down on our efforts, but return again to the Lord of our lives who promises to fill our empty hearts with agape love. That's not just to be kept for us, but it's meant to be like a fountain flowing through us to others. Let love Be genuine. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us with the real deal love. Thank you for pouring into our empty hearts your agape love and filling us to the full. Thank you for proving your love to us at the cost of your son Jesus when we were unworthy of it. And thank you that your love is so secure that it stands up to suffering and death and angels and demons and all things so that nothing could ever separate us from your agape in Jesus. Thank you for demonstrating and proving your love to us. And as we consider whether our love is genuine, we can never be perfect, but we can hope with your help to have an imperfect but very real community of agape love in this church. And I pray that under the the, the pressure of our current cultural moment that you would help us prove that our love is your love and that love is true.
We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.